Welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. Today would be Friday, January 14th, 2022. A busy week coming up for all of us, and it all starts today. We want to make sure you know for tuning in to the State of the State Address, the annual State of the State Address from Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. Look for that around 1 to 2 p.m. on Tuesday the 18th. You can do that uh, through live stream that will be on our website for New Mexico PBS or any of our social media channels. And this week we want to get you all ready and prepared for all of that. And so we will start things out uh, with a preview from Senate leadership of what we can expect in the next 30 days and some of the top priorities. And so our correspondent, Gwyneth Dolan, reached out to Mimi Stewart. She is the Senate President Pro Tem and helping to come up with those priorities uh, for the things that the lawmakers will consider in the next month. We know the budget for sure. That's the main goal of this 30-day session. What else will be on there as well? Here will give us an idea. And so here again, Senator Mimi Stewart and correspondent Gwyneth Dolan. Senator Stewart, budget proposals from the legislature and the governor both want to increase spending on education by about $400 million. Why, you know, in a, in a state where our revenue goes up and down so much, why is it important and safe to make this big bump now? Well, Gwyneth, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on today. Um, You know, we have a huge staffing problem now in our public schools. Uh, We are down over a thousand teachers this year. So think about that. We are looking at long-term substitutes being in classrooms. Um, So we have got to increase pay for teachers. Uh, Every state around us is doing the same thing. So every time we think we're being competitive, they beat us on that. Uh, So it's a bold uh, project from uh, the governor to increase these three tiers. Uh, We have uh, tier one for beginning teachers and tier two for kind of when you've been around six years or so and you don't have your master's yet and then your third tier for master's or national board certification. Uh, Currently, those minimums are at 40,000, 50,000, and 60,000. And the governor's proposal is to move them up $10,000. So um, we've got to recruit and retain teachers. You know, Gwyneth, we also have the same problem with state employees. We just don't pay enough. Uh, We looked for a um, broadband engineer. Uh, to kick us off for our new broadband funding that we've gotten from the federal government and from the state. And we can't hire anybody because we don't pay enough. Uh, Our pay band is 75,000 for a broadband engineer. That's pathetic. So, uh, So we're on a mission to increase our salaries statewide and to put money into education so we have an excellent qualified teacher in every classroom and that takes funding. And 
Yes, we have this cycle of the oil and gas funding, but we still have to do it. Uh, we're going to have very good reserves so that if we go through a downturn, which we will, that's the nature of that funding, uh, we'll have money in the bank. But right now, while we have this money, we've got to invest in our educators. And how is the money split up? What are the priorities? I mean, there's money in there uh, for early education, am I right? Uh, yes, so uh, the governor's proposal and also our proposal is to do a 7% across the board pay increase for state employees and educators, uh, everyone in the education community. And then on top of that is the three-tier licensure. Uh, so a 7% for, for all state workers and educators um, is about $300 million. And on top of that is then the tier movement. So um, uh, the 400 million is just for uh, partly those salaries, but we've also increased funding for physical education. Physical education. Um, we're paying attention to what's called the tribal remedy, uh, where our tribes want more funding for their educational programs. Uh, we have a significant amount of money in the budget for that. Uh, we're, um, we are increasing the amount we have for teacher loan repayment and scholarships and our Grow Your Own program, uh, which tries to focus on um, indigenous teachers um, and more Hispanic teachers. We've got to do a better job of having our teachers reflect our students. Students do better when they're taught by someone who they recognize. And so we've really on a push to try to do that. Uh, so we have, um, we have money for mentoring, we have money for physical, physical education. Uh, we've increased our at-risk factor um, going to uh, students that are uh, uh, more challenging to teach. Uh, so um, it, it's a huge bump. It's over 12% increase in the education budget. We haven't done that kind of an increase in any of my 28 years that I've been here. So this session is mostly about the budget, but there are a few other topics. We've just got a few minutes left. What are the other priorities that are outside that? Um, the governor also is proposing her clean fuel standards bill again. I'm carrying that for her. Um, that proposes to lower the carbon intensity of our transportation fuels, uh, lowering that over 2018 standards by 20% 20 by 2030 and 30% 30 by 2040. Uh, so when we proposed this clean fuel standard last year, we had over 20 companies before we passed the bill reach out to us to say that they wanted to come to New Mexico uh, to help produce this clean fuel. Um, Oregon, Washington, California all have this clean fuel standard. So they're a market for our clean fuels uh, that we can produce and sell here. Uh, so the governor is also putting on or giving a message to an election bill that will just ensure that our elections work well. Uh, we came up with some great stuff during COVID by having people, giving people the ability to mail in ballots. We want to ensure that that process is good. Um, give people a chance to just be on a permanent absentee ballot list so you don't even have to request it. It always comes to your home. 
Um, we wanna ensure that our same day voter registration works well. Um, so we have a great ideas in that bill. So that's a big one. Uh, so there are some other things that she's proposing around crime and our new state rep, Pamela Herndon has a great bill. Uh, on behalf of Benny Hargrove, who was the 13-year-old at Washington Middle School that was killed. Uh, so that's a safe storage bill, uh, requiring parents to really have their guns locked up uh, when they have children in the home. Uh, so we've got, hopefully we won't do too many things because the budget is going to take all of us to lift. We have so much money. We're putting money into roads, into broadband, into our environment. We have huge money going into our environment resources to promote more outdoor recreation, to uh, promote more uh, ability of uh, cities and counties around the state to promote their outdoor recreation. So we're, we're just, we're going to do great work here in this 30 day. And I'm, uh, I'm not looking forward to it, but I'm up for the challenge. <laughs> Republicans say that if you're talking about improving elections, election security is as important as election access. Um, so will voter ID be a part of the plan? Uh, you know, we have some voter ID laws around the state already. Um, I don't believe there's uh, more of that in this bill. And certainly election security is important. Uh, we have a really good Secretary of State uh, with, with Maggie Toulouse-Oliver, and uh, she is um, working on security issues. Uh, we want to change some of the uh, processes that we go through after the election to ensure that ballots are kept safe, um, because sometimes ballots are challenged, and we, uh, we don't want to have any issues around um, allowing people to challenge the election and to make sure that we've done it correctly. Uh, so she's working on those kind of security issues. You know, Gwyneth, we have studied for years this idea about um, uh, uh, individual ID, photo ID, and there is just not the case for it. There is just not this widespread fraud. I mean, every now and then uh, you'll find some people pushing the envelope. I think about four years ago, uh, we had someone register his dog um, and then uh, try to vote and he was found out. Um, there's always a few people who try to vote um, uh, if their parents have passed away, they'll try to vote that way. They're found out. Um, we just don't have that kind of ID fraud. I haven't really heard about it anywhere in the country. And we have really looked at our voting systems after the 2020 election. Uh, so we have good voting systems. Um, I don't think we have enough people voting, um, but I think the systems itself are good. Thank you for this quick preview, and we're going to follow up on a bunch of these topics uh, during this session. Thank you so much. And thank you, Gwyneth. As we handed out earlier, the budget will be the order number one, two, three of the importance in the legislative session. It is part of the constitutional requirement that lawmakers balance the budget and the shorter uh, sessions that happen in even years are designed first and foremost for that. So budget was one of the things we know they will be tackling. We know there are some differences in plans on how to spend 
the money for the upcoming year. The governor has released her budget proposal. The Legislative Finance Committee has released its own plan and uh, coming up with agreement between the two as well as other ideas is obviously where they will spend their time over the next month. And so we want to talk to our line opinion panel about what their predictions are in regard to the budget. Our opinion panel this week includes regulars Tom Garrity of the Garrity Group PR and Michael Bird, past president of the uh, American Public Health Association. Also, we welcome back Martha Burke, political psychologist and author of the book Your Voice, Your Vote. Always great to have Martha here to talk about some of these issues. And let's jump right into it now with host Gene Grant. Welcome to everyone on our panel this week, starting with Michael Byrd, former president of the American Public Health Association, our friend Tom Garrity of the Garrity Public Relations Group, and Martha Burke, political psychologist and author of the book Your Voice, Your Vote, The Savvy Woman's Guide to Politics, Power, and the Change We Need. Thank you all for being here. Now, budget talks, budget talk has moved into the spotlight ahead of the start of the session, and it seems both the governor and the legislature have similar priorities, public health, Education, economic development, and public safety are all in for a boost if either of these plans pass. And wrapped up in almost all these items are pay raises for public employees, whether it be teachers, police, firefighters. So let's start there. Given the stresses of the pandemic, Michael, is it about time to give these folks some extra compensation? Like uh, how far back do you want to go right. uh, in terms of... <laughs> addressing these, these this lack of investment that's a very good point you got to make up to get to par that's right <laughs> go ahead. i didn't mean to cut you up there go ahead with your point Michael. Oh. well no i mean because when i look at it from any lens here in new mexico be it education be it public safety be it public health which i'm familiar with not only locally but nationally is there has not been the kind of investment we do in fact not have a public we do not have a public health system in this country that's viable mm -hmm. because there's not been that investment we do in fact do not have a healthcare system in this nation and covid has 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 demonstrated that it all we also we also lack equity in terms of for for communities of color, be they native communities, be they Hispanic communities, Mexican-American communities, or African-American communities, because we know who's been bearing the burden of, of this virus. Mm -hmm. And it is our communities, which have always been at risk. There's never been a normal. It's always been abnormal for us. And, and this is just highlighting that. And, and now other people, other communities are beginning to experience some of the pain that we've been dealing with historically for quite some time. Right. So if you do not invest in infrastructure, if you do not invest in your people, this is what happens when you don't. Mm -hmm. So it's high time we invest. That's a good point. Martha, speaking of investment, uh, let's look at education and these proposals. The governor and the legislature finance committee call for nearly $4 billion boost to public ed and nearly $1 billion towards higher ed. A big chunk of the money for public ed would go towards teacher pay increases as we've all heard about in the news here. The idea of being this would attract and retain educators, is that a viable plan going in? Well, I think it is sort of viable, Gene. Mm -hmm. The idea of what they're putting forward is they want to be competitive with Texas, which they will be because Texas legislature is not meeting this year. So they're 
salaries right now are in the 44, 45,000 range. Mm -hmm. And proposal here is for 50. The question is, is that enough money to cause you to uh, cross a border, uproot your life and come up to Mexico? Me, I would because Texas is uh, my native state, but there's a lot not to like. Uh, (laughs) However, I want to talk a little bit more about that teacher pay raise and my lens is a gender lens. Mm -hmm. Most of the public educators in the state and nationally are women. Women do not make the money men make in most fields. They probably do in education, but it's still very low. So if we can raise women up, we can raise families up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very important as far as the education salaries and the minimum wage. We have the proposal to raise the state for state workers, a minimum to $15 an hour. That is the state is no exception. Um, The majority of minimum wage workers are female Mm -hmm. across the board. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about one more thing in the budget that is very important, and that's the early childhood education. because how many women have had to stay home during COVID, quit a job because there's no child care. Right. There's no childhood ed. And if we had that, women could go back to work. Naturally, it helps the kids. It gives them a head start. There's a reason that program is named Head Start. And so it's a win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. In terms of the competing proposals, I don't think they're that apart. They really aren't. They really aren't. And, you know, the teacher pay thing, Tom, you know, the LFC wants 51,000 to start. The governor's office, 50,000. It's not much of a difference. But interesting points there for Martha. Um, You know, we've got one over a thousand teacher vacancies statewide. It, It has to be partly has to be money, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, we've seen the big quit or the great resignation take, uh, you know, take hold in the private sector as well as the public sector. So, you know, really increasing salaries. And I would say that 7% is is nice, but it's not quite enough. Maybe 10% for teachers, mm-hmm. 7% for all other school personnel. I think that the public sector needs to actually get up to speed with trying to make jobs more competitive from a financial perspective. Yes, they have the the great retirement programs uh, and and such, but uh, you know I think that you know really hitting that uh, the teacher pay raises at this point and pay raises for all of all educators mm-hmm. is a good first step. Uh, you know the the other thing that I that I like that I'm seeing is is what I'm seeing in the economic development arena. Mm-hmm. And just by you know uh, quick disclosure, uh, my firm does work in the economic development arena. And so with that said, my my thoughts are my own. But what I've be, been able to see is a lot of success with the local economic development uh, funding. Uh, and so if if I think that if we're able to see that the funds can be used to attract out-of-state companies, but also more importantly, to really support those companies who are already here mm-hmm. to help them grow, uh, maybe help them just to get one more job, uh, to you know put them in a position to provide funding to hire one more person uh, at a competitive wage, I think that that could do uh, a lot to really increase New Mexico's competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Michael, another issue, of course, crime. I mentioned it's going to be big on the uh, docket for everybody uh, starting here on the 18th. However, same issue. Is it a money problem? The governor wants to spend to attract more folks to public safety, uh, you know, investments for cops, all kinds of things. 
Is it just a money issue or are we having something else afoot here? First of all, I just want to pick up on, on, on Martha's gender point. Please. Um, and if, if, I, if, you, if you don't mind. I don't mind. And one is that uh, the majority of healthcare providers are, are, are women, be it nurses or, or in many of the other fields and more and more women doctors. So that, that's another area where, you know, there is a, a real need to emphasize and focus on, on, on women and supporting them in whatever ways we can. Yep. In, in, in terms of, you know, I, it, it's pretty clear that I think that we do need more to be, to be more supportive of public safety and police and, 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 and that arena. But, but again, I think the thing is we need to be looking at what are the causes for, for the crime? What are the, and, and, and those really are more upstream than downstream in terms of, uh, you know, what, 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 what's really driving the crime rate. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and in, at least from my understanding, a big part of it is, is drugs and, and, and poverty and, and folks who um, don't have education and the means to make a living. And it really goes back to the family of origin, in my experience, where, where you either have function, you, you have functional children, uh, have functional families at, that produce then functional children who, who can read, write, and, or, and seeking employment and want to be productive versus those families that have been impacted in a negative and adverse way mm -hmm. that leads them on a course that, that, that is in fact, um, I think they more tend to abuse drugs, alcohol, and then engage in criminal activity. And so I think that, you know, th that's a piece of it, but that's it, that you have to emphasize more, more in the way of prevention and more in looking at what do we need to strengthen families and communities. Mm -hmm. You know, Martha, anytime you see big spending numbers like you see here, you expect some backlash from conservative leadership. Uh, that is the case here after these two Democratic-led budget proposals. House Minority Leader James Townsend, you probably read in the journal, said he'd like to see the surplus used for more tax breaks for seniors and veterans instead of spending. Is there a legitimate concern here of the proposed a billion dollar general fund increase? Is too much too fast? No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> for the first time in a long time, the money is there, Gene. Mm -hmm. And you know, when conservatives say tax breaks to me, the red flag goes up. Mm -hmm. I don't think the elderly veterans are the concern. I think it's the corporations and the, the, the very wealthy already. Uh, that's historically been the position. It is uh, probably at the core of the, you know, let, let's front it with the elderly and veterans, but really we need tax breaks for the corporations. I do want to say real quickly on mm -hmm. the police or the, um, the uh, police officer raises, I did look up where we are in terms of uh, competing with our border states. And uh, we're pretty far behind. We're 34th nationally. Colorado to our north is eighth in salary. They have not quite double, uh, a quarter more than we do, but wow. almost. Uh, Texas is ahead of us, Arizona. The only one not is Oklahoma, and that's that little bitty border at the 
but so we're behind our neighbors yeah. as well and i think we could lose some good officers if we don't do something about i appreciate that. you saying that because and, that is happening it, it's a difficulty tom do you have a point there if you could yeah yeah just briefly uh to add on to the public safety discussion yes we definitely need to you know provide more support for law enforcement officers as far as from the financial perspective mm -hmm. but and i really appreciate what michael was sharing about you know the behavioral health making sure that we address that but the third element that I think really needs to be funded that the last two governors have not funded appropriately has been the courts and justice system. Uh -huh. um, you know, if you need to be able to complete the system and without funding the courts and justice, all you're doing is providing uh, pay raises, which is a good and needed thing, but it's not completing the cycle and fixing the issues. Good point there. Lawmakers will hear the governor's priorities for the budget and the rest of 2022. During her State of the State address, kicking off the session on Tuesday, you can catch a live stream of her speech on the NMPBS website or on our air next Wednesday at 4 p.m. We're going to jump back into the legislature here in just a minute, but want to switch gears for a sec because it is the second Friday of the month. That means our land, our environmental series with correspondent Laura Paskus. These are always... A lot of uh, work, but a lot of important information, and we love bringing it to you, being the only broadcast environmental news series out there in the state. And we've got a really interesting one for you this week. A complicated issue of climate change is something we talk about a lot on our land, but it is often at odds with another big issue, that is faith. How do you have faith in a time of climate change? If you are a devout religious person, how does that impact how you view the problem of climate change, the cause, and the solutions? So this is definitely something that is going to um, force us all to think really hard about this issue in a different way, but we hope it is one that uh, helps to frame the issue in a different way for you and uh, get us all thinking in new directions around this huge issue of climate change that we talk about so often here on New Mexico in Focus. So without further ado, here is Laura Paskus and Arland. I'm Laura Paskus, and like many of you, I think about the impacts of climate change on our state and our communities. And I too feel grief when I see our rivers dry or our forests burn. On this month's episode of Our Land, I spoke with Larry Rasmussen, Professor Emeritus at Union Theological Seminary, about climate change and faith, and faith and mourning. On our show, we talk a lot about the science of climate change and cultural issues around climate change. I wanted to talk with you today about where faith fits into climate activism. I mean, someone has said that faith is a citadel uh, perched at the edge of despair. Uh, and I think that that is the case when people are in really rough places, for, whether it's just for themselves personally or in their family or in their community or whether it's a whole nation, even a planet. First of all, I think faith is a kind of way of saying yes to life in spite of everything. I mean, we talk about it that way. Faith is a kind of trust in things that we've not yet seen that they are yet possible. Mm -hmm. 
And your 2013 book, which I realize we're um, you're in 2022 now, um, but you wrote in this book that as the world has changed, we must learn to sing a new song in a strange land. Yeah. What is this strange land, and, and how do we sing a new song? Yeah, well, good. <laughs> um, with difficulty. <laughs> the strange land is that we've changed the planet. And what is not in that book, except to be mentioned at the very outset, is that we've actually moved into a ge different geological epoch. I think it's massive that we're, we've gone from the, the Holocene, uh, which relied on a balanced climate, into the Anthropocene epoch. But we, we'll have to figure out a way to manage and adapt uh, civilization, if it survives, under conditions of climate volatility rather than stability and climate unfriendliness rather than friendliness. So sing, learning to sing a strange, uh, a new song in a strange land then requires certainly creativity, adaptability, resilience, and probably sheer grit. Uh, and it's going to be in the face of suffering on a scale that we have not seen uh, as a result of natural disasters. You shared with me a letter that you wrote to your grandchildren about this coming transition. And you wrote, if the tumultuous world hasn't stopped being beautiful, neither has love stopped being love. Yeah. In this world of huge uncertainty and transitions, what, what does love, what does beauty matter? Yeah. Um, a lot. Um, I don't think we find our way except uh, through the kind of relationships that are nurtured by love. Amidst this changing and changed planet, <clears throat> find our way without a sense of wonder, without a sense of being on a journey which is much greater in our little uh, slice of time. As an environment reporter, I have so many people contact me um, talking about or writing about their anxiety and their depression and their grief as yeah. they see, you know, our river dry, our snowpack, you know, our snowpackless mountains um, or mountains after a fire. Are there lessons in the faith community um, to help us deal with these losses? Uh, there are. Um, whether and how much we draw upon them will vary a lot from congregation to congregation. Um, in uh, part because we have, especially white folk, have so benefited from the Industrial Revolution and what it brought, that we hardly even noticed that burning fossil fuels was destroying the kind of planet uh, that was yielding these benefits. So it's harder for white folk uh, to know the traditions of lament, uh, to know the traditions of living with and through apocalypse, to know the traditions of uh, 
having to sing a new song in a strange uh, land. So I'm, I'm trying to say not everybody everywhere will be tapping into these. Uh, but now eco-lament is a reality for a lot of people, religious and secular uh, people. And there are traditions of eco-lament. <laughs> um, faith traditions have arisen, actually, in the face of disaster and have continued to address uh, disaster. Just as a family has to come together, they don't always do, but just as they have to come together in the face of tragedy uh, in the family, so faith traditions have done that over and over and over again in the face of tragedy and, and despair and reasons for lament and anxiety about uh, the future. So I, I think you take old uh, experiences, texts, communities, that may, it's counterintuitive that in a, a no analog world, you'd be looking to ancient, for ancient wisdom. But anything, uh, you know, any human communities that have been around for millennia, like faith communities have, has accumulated a lot of wisdom. It needs to be revised, it needs to be adapted, uh, something new needs to be uh, created in all likelihood, <clears throat> but the resources are there, the experiences are there. You also write in your 2013 book, or you ask, where do we turn when we discover that the religion we have lived by since the industrial technological era emerged, eternal and exponential economic growth, is an illusion, dogma masquerading as common sense and kept alive by willpower and little else. I want to talk about that, and I also want to talk about the role that white supremacy has played in faith and in causing climate change yeah. and where those intersect and how we pull them apart for yeah. a, a, a different world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let me start with the latter point. Um, climate change is a result of the institutions that uh, arose out of the Industrial Revolution and that went global by way of conquest <clears throat> and colonization. And given the Industrial Revolution, the form that that took was one uh, which now has brought us to climate system change, changing the systems, planetary systems themselves. And it is we who are white who are most deeply immersed in what we benefited from that. One thing that's happening in theology is the kind of decolonization of theology that has been white and in a universal voice. 
So you get black theology, you get feminist theology, you get uh, Latinx and, uh, theology, you get womanist theology out of the African-American experience, you get queer theology, and that kind of decolonization has to happen uh, because of the power of white institutions in forging the modern world. Um, so, uh, undoing white privilege, undoing white supremacy is essential to uh, making the transition to a sustainable uh, life uh, on other terms uh, than, than that. Um, and that's, that's massive. Well, thank you, Larry, for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. Let's head back up to Santa Fe in the Roundhouse one more time before we go for this episode. As we mentioned, next week we'll start a new legislative session, the 30-day session here in Santa Fe. One person who will not be there is uh, Representative Alonzo Baldonado, who recently announced his decision to resign uh, before his term is up next November. And so we wanted to reach out and find out why the sudden uh, decision to call it a career in Santa Fe and get some insights on the dynamics within the roundhouse between the two parties, between the two houses. Always an interesting exploration about what those experiences are like for someone who's been there. He has served since 2011, so a good chunk of time. And we'll also talk to him about what he expects in the upcoming session. This was part of a Facebook Live we did this week with host Gene Grant and wanted to bring you it in its entirety. But remember, you can always catch these in your inbox if you uh, follow us on Facebook, New Mexico in Focus. Just give it add a search. And uh, you will see that in your feed. We encourage you to do that. But for now, here is now former state lawmaker Alonzo Baldonado and host Gene Grant. You know, you were there a good chunk of time, Mr. Baldonado. I mean, that's a long, it was a very different world in 2011. Let's put it that way. When you got in and compared to where we are now, we'll talk about that. But let me ask you first things first, you left in the middle of a term to go into the real estate business or back into it. Uh, how's that going so far? Well, I, I do want to clarify, Gene, I've been in the real estate business the whole time because as a yeah. citizen legislator, you still have to have that income. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, 11 years is what I served. It was six, six uh, terms that I won. Uh, it was the right time to do it now. Um, basically had looked at, you know, my financial situation, my, my personal life, everything that surrounded what I was, um, was doing in life. And I felt like in the legislature, I've, you know, I've, I've served my time. I've served my community. I've done what I think, um, what I think I could do. Obviously you can always do more, but uh, it's time to pass the torch. It's time to find someone um, that has that, you know, that desire and, 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 and drive and push to get out there and, and, and do well for the community. And by the way, they'll, they'll appoint that individual at 5 PM today, the County commission oh. does Valencia County. So. Okay. Good deal. I, I appreciate you mentioning yeah. that by the way. And yeah. thank you for mentioning Valencia County. I, 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 should have mentioned your Los Lunas base, you know, right. District 8, a lot of things in that area in case folks don't know where you were actually serving. Um, let me ask you this, though, in, in you know, getting back into the private sector, um, 
Uh, did you hear from your constituents? Were there folks, I mean, you were fairly popular in yeah. your district. Were there folks saying, hey, dude, we need you here. Why are you leaving us? <laughs> the phone is still ringing. Right. <laughs> I've, I've been nonstop on the phone with, with whether it's constituents or you know, folks in the lobbying business or, or my, my uh, colleagues in the House or in the Senate. Um, many asking why, you know, what's the, what's the real reason? And some of the real reason is that, you know, um, I've been using the analogy of Forrest Gump. Remember the movie when he's running and running and running and he's just, he's done. He wants to go home. Like I've, I've got there, I'm done. And, and uh, I feel like I've, I've accomplished tremendous amount of things for Valencia County. We have interchange projects coming, overpass projects coming. Um, the governor helped us uh, with the hospital project a few weeks ago. So right. things are moving. Um, I just drove up the hill yesterday that that uh, Project Charlie, some of your, your folks will know what that is. It's it's just, it's speculated to be an Amazon project. The building's already up. It's this gigantic, massive building already up there on the west side of, of Los Angeles, just past the Facebook site. So, mm -hmm. you know, in my time, we've seen um, and I'm I dare not take credit for 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 all the development, but we've surely pushed it along with Governor Martinez, Governor Luan Grisham and making Los Angeles uh, something that um, that is 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 to be proud of. Absolutely mm -hmm. proud of. So I got to I got to ask you, Representative. You know, when you when you're not in a situation like I am, sort of just looking at it from afar, it would seem to me Los Lunas is poised to really kind of have a moment here. You right. know what I mean? All the things you just mentioned. That second uh, exit is a big deal. Mm -hmm. That hospital is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious why you would want to leave such momentum. I, I mean, I I know why you have to make some money right. for your family. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying here? Los Lunas is about to really pop here as right. as a, as an edge city, so to speak. No, it, it 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 totally is, and uh, and with that comes housing, Gene. And I'm going to be right in the in the poise to to get in there and 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 roll up my sleeves and do some some selling of houses and things of that nature. But uh, like I said, you know, the the that that entire west side of Los Angeles right now is is just on the verge. Um, I was disappointed with the census data that rolled out after um, after the last census, and I think COVID had something to do with it. Mm -hmm. uh, I really thought that. Valencia County would have been higher up on the list of, of growing communities in in the state. Obviously, I would agree. we you know Doniana and Santa Fe and, and and Sandoval were the were the front runners. But at the same time, you know when I drive my neighborhoods and I look at all this new construction, all these new houses, and I if you know I walk into the Walmart, that's my litmus test. And I if I yeah. I grew up in Belen. When I go to the Belen Walmart, I can't get out of there without you know without seeing forty eight people I know. Well, Sinus, there's just a tremendous amount of different faces, and it's it's encouraging to see, and you know, and it's 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 you know, it's a growth thing, and growing pains are hard. You know, the, if you get off the interstate and you see our corridor, the commercial growth, the restaurants, the businesses, that's that's encouraging to see you grow. So mm -hmm. it's a real, real neat opportunity. I can personally think of about a half dozen people here in Albuquerque who are thinking hard about the move. Honestly, yeah. they're thinking yeah. hard about Los Lunas. They see the opportunity. Right. Honestly, it's it's very interesting. Yeah. I'm curious in your your legislative time again. You had enough six laps is a pretty good amount of time. Right. What was your proudest accomplishment during your time as representative? You know, Gene, um, I I put down a couple notes. You know, there's there's a, a few small things that I think were that were very uh, rewarding. You know, we passed a bill. Uh, within the game and fish world for licenses uh, for hunters and, and anglers for, for military veterans, active duty military and, and disabled vets to have 50% off on their on their license. Like to me, that's an important thing. It's a, a, a big accomplishment. Mm -hmm. I was um, integral in the ban the box bill. If you know um, the terminology refers to um, a, uh, a, a an application for employment in the private sector and not mm -hmm. asking the question on the employment application, whether or not somebody has been convicted of a felony. It doesn't doesn't mean you have to hire this person it just means you give them a shot and mm -hmm. and that was that was big for me along with uh, senator uh, bill o'neill we ran that bill a couple times 
Finally, we got it passed. Martinez vetoed it. And then, of course, uh, Lujan Grisham signed it for us. Mm -hmm. um, home Inspector Licensing Act. That's in my world in terms of real estate. You know, when you get a home inspection prior to, the, to our bill, home inspectors were unlicensed. And, you know, most of them are doing business good. But by the, you know, by the standard, you and I could have just, you know, bought a ladder and gone into business. Hey, we're home inspectors. We don't know what we're doing. But, you know. But I think, you know, when we won the majority um, as Republicans and I was elected to serve as the majority whip, the first one in 50 some odd years, um, that was a big day. That was a big deal. Um, in fact, the journal used that picture when they wrote my article of, of me and Don Tripp and it was speaker trip. And, and that was that was a good moment for us. And uh, but there's a bunch of them. You know, those are a few, though. Yeah. Any any issues you wish you could have leaned into just a little bit more? Couldn't quite get them over the finish line. I, there's always stuff undone whenever somebody right. leaves something. Absolutely. Education. Mm -hmm. I think okay. education. Um, I'm obviously a, a business owner and not in the education world. I've served on the education com uh, committee uh, since day one in the legislature. So I, I, I ended up becoming the longest serving House member uh, on the Republican side. So um, as a uh, as a, a businessman, didn't know so much about the education world, learned a tremendous amount. That's a that's a heavy lift. If, mm -hmm. if, if your viewers are, are interested in figuring out what what consumes almost half of the, the New Mexico budget and um, and is just immensely important is in educating our children. Um, you know, when when we started, uh, when I started back, you know, that was when Governor Martinez was elected. We were ranking 48th, 49th among the states and we're still ranking 48 49 among the states and so i feel like you know there's some blockades in the education community there's some there's some attitude that that takes care of the adults more than the kids um i would love to see school choice become uh front and center in this state and obviously we have charter schools um and we have you know folks have the option of homeschooling their children but truly a school choice scenario where where you let the parent decide what's best for that kid and that's not for every family, not every family even cares. They would just want to drop their kid off at the local public school and be done with it. But there's a tremendous amount of families that say, this isn't working for my kid. This, this setting's not, what are my options? And, and to give kids options, you know, private school obviously is an option, but it's, it's expensive, you know? And so, um, you know, that, that narrative I feel needs to be um, considered um, more seriously in the state. Sure. You know, in a 10 year plus career, there's ups and downs with interviews and things like that. And I'm curious, looking back now, during that whole yoga kerfuffle way back when, <laughs> were, were you misunderstood there? Was something not expressed in print that you were trying to get across there? I, Gene, I truly believe that, um, that the, the folks that took offense to that wanted to sort of put me out there and say, here's this, here's this knucklehead that, that thinks stretching is a bad thing. And that wasn't the case at all. The, the, mm -hmm. the point was, is is in, in public school settings, we get, give kids all sorts of opt-outs for all sorts of things, medical, you know, physical, whatever it may be. Why is it that in that regard, uh, you know, when you, when you, if you Google and, and do a, a Wikipedia search on, on yoga, it will tell you plainly and clearly where its origins and roots are. And there are families that don't want that as part of their, their, their mix and what they teach their kids. Respect that you know, honor those families. It doesn't mean that they're against you or hate you or, or don't want to, you know, stretch and all that sort of thing. That doesn't, that's not the point. The point being is that it, it, it sort of could be a place where, you know, a, a child, you know, in a family that's, you know, following Judeo-Christian values or whatever it may be, takes offense to that. Why not honor that? And so I think, yeah, I think um, there was a, a, you know, a couple uh, journal article, I mean, not journal, article, but, but um, articles in, in, in the world out there that wanted mm -hmm. to just take shots at me. And, you know, of course, I've had the, the hecklers and the, 
you know, we had the hate mail. I had death oh, threats. God. It was, it was kind of hilarious to me. I thought, good Lord. I mean, is this, is it really that big of a deal for you guys? You know? And so, um, yeah, that was fun. But, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, I weathered the storm. It didn't, you know, the, the next election cycle, the, the postcards in the mailbox came and said, Baldonado's this and that. And, you know, we, we still won by a lot. And so, We'll, Sounds we'll like be okay. Six for you know for your grandchildren. Yeah, and it was funny to me that one of the Santa Fe uh, New Mexican reporters, as I as I retire, you know, and, and so to sort of speak, sell off into the sunset, had to just take one last jab and, and did an article a few weeks ago. And I thought, all right, whatever, you know, we can handle that. So I don't recall you saying don't do yoga. That's that's not what I don't I don't recall you actually saying that. It was a family decision. I think some people right. sort of heard that as don't do yoga. Yeah, I was like, exactly. They wanted to twist it into that. And I basically right. wanted the PE teacher that was presenting to us to say, yeah, we give these kids another another option. If they want to go run laps for, for the 20 minutes or 30 minutes we're doing that, or if they want to go you know, shoot hoops or whatever it may be. Because mm -hmm. I remember distinctly my days in high school when we when we had PE as a requirement. Remember that? That's probably a good thing oh, yeah. we should have back. Um you know, sometimes, you know, there was a student that couldn't participate in whatever activities. Like, okay, well, you go do this and mm -hmm. knock yourself out. Have a good time, you know, so, but. Interesting times, times eh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, times. yeah. Um, let me talk about, about this. Interestingly, the upcoming session, no surprise to anyone, crime is going to be the big issue right. uh, by the it governor's call and exactly right, as you know. You know, you've been in the middle of this, uh, you know, for a decade. And also, I want to remind folks, there was a special session on crime a few years ago right. that you were involved with as well during the Martinez right. administration. We couldn't quite. What, in your view, now that you're out of it, where have we gone wrong on crime here from a legislative point of view? <laughs> Obviously, you can't get in people's homes and right. create stable families. But as a legislator, have we missed something here when it comes to fighting crime? I think we, we, we could do a better job focusing on that bunch of criminals that are out there that are causing the most havoc, right? You have, you have, you have a, a core group of people out there that we need to, we need to figure out. And, and, you know, the, the policing agencies, they, they know who these people are. They, they run across them in the streets and they get to know, you know, the reputations right. and they hear things. Um, you know, one thing that has frustrated me is bail reform. You know, we did all that constitutional amendment and, right. and in my estimation, the, the Supreme court sold a bag of goods that they then around kind of did an end around and did something different with it. And what we ended up doing is we ended up letting folks out of, you know, a, a holding situation, whether they're awaiting trial or whatever it may be, you know, obviously, you know, the, 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 the person with no criminal record that gets busted for shoplifting a bag of, you know, wheat flour or whatever it may be. Okay, we get, you know, but, mm -hmm. but the guy that has the long rap sheet and is, you know, being accused of a rape or a, a murder that individual probably shouldn't be out on the street, guys. Right. And, and we go to this situation, we've seen this in the news. We had a situation where a Valencia County, a young man that grew up in Valencia County was murdered mm -hmm. by someone who was out on, on pretrial release on an ankle monitor. Right. And this was big news and, and DA Torres and everybody was commenting on it. And I thought, well, how, how foolish are we to think that an individual on a, an ankle bracelet, we're, we're not monitoring that. There's not a SWAT team sitting somewhere, you know, in a room right. waiting for someone to for the alarm to go off, oh, this guy broke his, you know, his perimeter, we're going to go get him. That's not how that works. Basically, what was happening is if somebody, you know, went out of their designated areas, the, the parole officers or whomever's monitoring in the morning gets some report that says, you know, Joe Schmo, you know, was being naughty last night. Well, the crime's already been committed if he was out to do a crime, you know, and so right. it's too little too late. You know, that to me, the ankle bracelet monitor works for someone who's, who's served their time and then has gone into a, a parole situation where, 
they get to go to work or they get to go visit mom, they get to go wherever. And they're trying to reacclimate back into the community. They have something to lose, but the pre-trial, they're being accused of something. So things of that nature, I think are, are what we need to take serious. Um, I know that um, the other side of the aisle will probably propose a lot of gun control type, you know, solutions to, to crime in Albuquerque. And at the end of the day, um, you know, when a criminal gets their hands on a firearm or a weapon that's, that's deadly in nature, 99% of the time that's coming through some illegal means. It's not, it's not coming through someone who went down to, you know, uh, sportsmen's and purchased a firearm to go, you know, sporting with their kids or whatever it may be. So mm-hmm. I, I think we need to stop attacking, you know, the part of the population that's doing it right and start focusing on those people that we know are committing serious crimes mm-hmm. and creating havoc for our, our populations. Is it a money issue in your view, Representative? I mean, you know, the governor says she's committing a, a lot of resources financially yeah. to this effort. Is that part of the issue here? Well, part of the issue is we can throw as much money at, like say we want to hire, you know, 500 more APD officers, but we mm-hmm. need to quit demoralizing them and demonizing them and telling them that they're doing wrong. Because I know a lot of friends of mine that, that, are, that have been APD that are the short end of their career mm-hmm. have stepped out earlier than they thought they would have, they, they become eligible for retirement. Like I'm done. I'm not going to subject myself to the liabilities. You know, we had house bill four last year that, you know, that put into play, you know, the, the, um, um, oh, I'm going to forget the word now, the, um, where they have oh immunity, the, um, mm. uh, anyway, that well, it'll come to me in a second, but you, you, I think your viewers know what I'm talking about. Um, qualified immunity. I'm sorry. And so, um, you know, you have a police officer that's doing their job trying to do it right, trying to protect a citizen or, or property or whatever it may be, and something goes awry and they have to they have to use force, they have to use deadly force, you know, let's stop demonizing these people and let them come to work and know that we're behind them. You know, obviously the one-off situation, there's there's bad real estate brokers, there's, you know, there's bad, bad in every industry. And so there are some cops running around that probably shouldn't have, you know, the ability to do what they can. But we need again to focus on those individuals, not the entire department, not the not the the one apple spoiling the whole bunch kind of scenario, and say to ourselves, hey, let's pay these guys well or gals well. Let's get them, you know, the tools they need, the equipment they need, but let's get behind them and let mm-hmm. them know that we're, you know, we're happy to be able to to pick up the phone, imagine that, and and dial 911 and have somebody show up to protect us, you know. Yeah. It's a good point there. Let me ask you this. You know, when I mentioned money's floating around, the governor's also talking about not specifically this will come out, I guess, as time goes on here, mm-hmm. but money for families, money to, for lack of a better term, help create more cohesive, solid family structures, which I think no one would disagree with is the start of everything. Right. It, right. It, it, no. it just starts there. And, and that's a decidedly sort of lefty idea. Do you think there's a possibility that Republicans on your side of the aisle, your side of the aisle with Republicans might even come a step towards that and thinking about money is going towards things that stabilize families and such? I think I think if you if you if you present that in a way to 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 a Republican or conservative, fiscally conservative individual where you have a, a, a good path and a good plan to how to spend that money and how it's exactly going to be delivered, you take a lot of the question marks out. I think, you know, a good example is the. Uh, the uh, permanent land grant fund, which the, the constitutional amendment, you know, they, they tried to pass that for all the years I was in the house and, and, mm-hmm. and one way or the other, it would stop. Um, it finally passes your John Arthur Smith no longer in the Senate to, you know, to, to be that backstop. Um, and so you have that extra drawn money. Well, the biggest concern I think for Republicans in that wasn't that we were trying to help, you know, children. It was more like, you're just going to hand this money over to 
you know, XYZ nonprofits or whomever may be out there. It's like, where's the accountability in that? And you know, as well as I do, when you start handing out large chunks of money, it becomes very difficult to figure out where the accountability is. I mean, I, mm-hmm. you know, in five years, we're going to be looking at the, at the, the COVID dollars that went out and, you know, as well as I do, there's been, in fact, uh, Workforce Solutions had a big mess with, you know, money going out to fraudulently the people that should have been getting it or to the wrong person or whoever it may be, you know, and that's not a knock on that department. It's just saying when you have this massive amount of, of, of money that has to be delivered to the public, it's a tricky situation. You know, in my business as a rental property manager, that the COVID relief dollars that's coming through the Department of Finance Administration, I two or three times we've had checks and error that come to us for some other property, some other person. Wow. And it's like, good thing we're honest. And we call and say, hey, this isn't our check, you know, and send it back to them. But um, again, not a knock on those people because they're busting their butts to get this stuff done. But it's a it's a mammoth on taking. And so, you know, the governor's budget proposal is like eight point three billion, I think, is what and it's which is a a billion more than what we spent last year um, and two billion more than what we spent with under the governor Marquis administration. Are we really making a difference with it and you know mm-hmm. time tells on that but um you know people within the education community sometimes will will will, will tell you it's not mm-hmm. just about money it's about how we deliver it and what we're doing with that money that's right you know i'm, I'm interested in your sense of the state of decorum in the roundhouse these days yeah. it, it's a difficulty to, to look at the last couple of sessions or the last few years and, and make a judgment there and i'm trying to keep my eye on a long sweep of time but something has changed in your view what's changed up there well you know you 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 see the 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 national narrative and 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 that can be very demoralizing at times you know i I have friends that won't even read the news anymore they're just done like i don't even want to i don't even want to hear it uh but you know in santa fe like i i have a a lot of friends on the other side of the aisle like contrary to what people believe after all the bickering and fighting is going on on the house floor Maybe we go out for dinner and hang out right. with a couple of friends that are Democrats or, you know, someone from, you know, a, a political, you know, uh, persuasion that's much different from me because we're mm-hmm. still people and we mm-hmm. still can make that connection. And I think when you, um, it, the numbers in the House right now are so lopsided that there's 45 Democrats, 24 Republicans, and then Phelps Anderson is the is the independent, the, the decline to state individual. Um, and I think Phelps tends to vote mostly with us in most cases. So let's say, let's just call it 25-45. Sure. Well, that's 12 votes that you have to get from one side to the other to even have a shot at one of your bills that might be a little controversial or whatnot. And I'll tell you what, in the two, in the three years, uh, these last two terms, it's been that, about that number. Um, it's been very frustrating. And sometimes it's frustrating to the point where you just don't even want to talk about it. You know, you mm-hmm. sit there and you say, you know, you could treat us better. You know, with redistricting that just went down, we just had the special session a few weeks ago. Um, there was a map. There was the the commit the the redistricting commission that was put together, which, by the way, really didn't have they didn't have any teeth. They didn't have they just put maps together and proposed them. Those mm-hmm. maps were introduced in the house, but we didn't run, we didn't go with any of those maps. We went with the map that Damon Eli introduced, Representative Eli from from Corrales area, uh, and they stood up there on the house floor and said, "Well, this is one of the one of the redistricting maps." Okay, well, why isn't it? Why is it? It's not unadulterated. You've done something to it. And then as you start looking in the devils in the details, I look in my backyard in Valencia County and they, they slowly switched precincts around from between District 8, District 7, and 49, simply to weaken in terms of political power, District 7, and bolster 8. And so they pack our Republicans into 8 and 49 and take them away from, from 7, thus mm-hmm. creating a winnable situation for House District 7, at least on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you, you put your hand up, you take the mic and you say things like, well, why weren't we, you know, I know my backyard better than anybody else. Why weren't we consulted? Why are you moving people around for no reason? Why are you now crossing the river two or three different times when those are two different communities of interest in many ways? Let's keep them together. Let's yeah. follow our own rules and do what's right. Whether this county tends to vote Republican now or Democrat, it doesn't matter. It's just a matter of keeping people together. So mm-hmm. that decorum, you know, I'm not going to say it's, it's a madhouse, but there are times in there where, you know, their feelings that get hurt and people will express that and it's a lot of times just kind of you know pushed under the rug or this isn't really that important to us we're going to vote this way whether you like it or not here you go and so such yeah, we've, as, lost, we've lost a lot of senior people though over the yeah. well, recent times i should say yeah. is that part of the problem here because sometimes senior folks can sit people down and say I, hey you, dude you know <laughs> i came in at a time when kika Sabedra, lucky varela Yep. Larry Larinaga, you know these these giants in political circles in New Mexico were still were still serving. Yeah. Um, good, I've struck struck up amazing friendships with 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 Lucky and with Kiki and with Larry. They were Larry was my mentor on the Republican side. Kiki and and Lucky reminded me of my my dad. My dad's about their age, you know, and mm-hmm. so they had that same manners and that same sort of don't sweat it, you know, kind of we'll get it figured out. And yes, they brought a lot of calm to the to the body um and it's it's frustrating because i look at the membership now i've been there 11 years and then on the republican side i think i'm at the sixth or seventh most seniority so we only have you know just a handful of, of republicans that have been there longer than me and not very much longer you know right. uh, representative paul joe colbert's our longest serving member and i think she's at like 22 years or something along those lines um but yeah you do you know nick salazar you know nick was always just real steady he was he was elected before i was born i always thought that was crazy i get to the roundhouse this guy's elected in 72 and i'm 74 I'm like wow but amazing? um <laughs> yeah senator pinto john pinto not, not his granddaughter's in the seat now but senator pinto you know in his older days he he wasn't you know very you know he couldn't he couldn't pay attention much just because his you know his cognitive things had gone down and he but he was still there and he was still yeah. fighting for his people and he still brought that sense of calm. Senator John Arthur Smith, same kind of thing. And so, yeah, we've lost, you know, um, one that comes to mind is Clemente Sanchez, you know, in the Senate. You know, Clemente is salt of the earth, you know, really good senator for both sides of the aisle, you know, might have a D behind his name, but a lot of times you wouldn't know it. And uh, and and to lose him in a primary, um, that was difficult. Of course, you know, um, that that that's my senator. And so my, my area here is affected by that. But Joshua Sanchez serves in there now. And, but at the end of the day, it's hard to see those people go that would take the time to read a bill and tell you exactly what's in it and have that conversation, things of that nature. So interesting right. times, for sure. Seniority is a tricky thing. It really, it's hard it to replace. It's a very it hard is. thing. Let me ask you something about redistricting. You brought it up a second ago, but I'm curious your opinion about the congressional map, the new congressional yeah. maps signed into law. And this idea that a representative could be a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll, and it's all sort of working out because you got a little bit of an urban, you know, slice in your district, mm-hmm. but a very large rural part of your district as well. And honestly, Representative, I can't help thinking about uh, Sochil Torres Small and the way she yeah. sort of twisted herself inside out in that re-election yeah. campaign to show her, you know, conservative bona fides, and she's yeah. shooting guns and wearing clothes she would never right. wear. And I can't help but think, you know, honestly. I don't know how appealing a district would be if you can't be one or the other right. and really represent those people in a hard rock right. kind of way. Right. You know, I, I'm curious your opinion if, if you feel there's a practicality. That, would this work on the ground to be a representative of both those types of constituencies? 
It's, it's, it's definitely a double-edged sword. You know, there's, there's the argument um, as a Republican, you could make the argument that, Hey, these three districts now politically lean more to the middle. So basically, you know, in layman's terms, they're winnable for either side or closer to be winnable. They all lean Democrat, but mm-hmm. they all have within, they're within striking distance. CD three before was just out of reach for a Republican. You couldn't get there because the numbers are so far skewed. CD one, the Albuquerque Metro, obviously 15 to 12 years ago, Heather Wilson, if had she not stepped out to run for the Senate would probably still be there, right? right. Um, I think, I don't know, but Albuquerque has gone more and more to the left. But then you take now uh, Roswell and, and some of these, uh, not just Roswell, but on the way to Roswell, you have all these little tiny towns, these bonds and, 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 and Moriarty and Estancia and, and parts of Valencia County that are now part of CD1 that have nothing to do in common with the metro part of Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. Vastly different group of people. Done the same thing with CD2. You've taken a lot of the oil patch and split it between CD3 and CD2. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do think that that was probably a big mistake because about 33% of our state's population is registered Republican. And now you probably stand a chance of having three Democrats represent us in the House, maybe forever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe we put up some good candidates that can put up a fight and win. But mm-hmm. if you've got a guy that lives in Roswell running in the Albuquerque district, that's going to be real hard for that individual to, to win the hearts and minds of the bulk of the voters because he right. doesn't live there or she doesn't live there. You know, so right. it's going to be I, interesting. I think, you know. You hit it right on. Sorry to interrupt you there. You, you, I think you hit it right on. It's interesting. And the other bigger problem, of course, uh, Representative, is the money chase. Yeah. You, you go where the money is. And, it, and if that's going to be in the urban area, you can, you can almost predict what's going to happen here at some yeah. point. I, you know, and I, I, you know, I have to say this as well. It also makes the idea of being a representative kind of weird to me because you can't join any fun caucuses <laughs> because you're one of the one side of your district or the other is going to have a real hard time right. if you join a hard-edged caucus. Absolutely. You see what I mean? So your yeah. your your political life is this mushy yeah. gray middle that's like 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 you can't stand for anything, right? Yeah, right, totally exactly. Yeah, it's it's going to be a it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, uh, Representative Harrell is going to have her work cut out. That's going to be a tough district right. for her. She's got parts of the South Valley and the West Side of Albuquerque in her district now, that's you know, right. and she's from Alamogordo. You know, that's a long way away. We're the fifth largest state geographically and 21st populous. So, you know, right. running even a third of the state is a is a heavy lift. You know, you've got a lot of miles on the car and a lot of uh, that's right. a lot of hotel rooms. So a lot more field offices to set up. I mean, it just as an ex-congressional staffer, I can tell you, it complicates everything by wildly more. Not a little bit, but wildly more. We're going to find out. Hey, a couple last questions. I know you're yeah. busy. Um, where are Republicans right now in uh, the state of New Mexico? You know, I hear folks complain about no bench and no this and that. And I'm always like, yeah. is it that bad, really? Well, from your point of view, where are things right now? You know, I think there's some there's some energy, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. I think the the Albuquerque elections that, that went down in November, the city elections, you know, obviously Tim Keller wins, you know, first round. But but you you saw the the soccer stadium issue fail. And I think that was probably a, a more of a conservative fiscal kind of approach that took that, you know, the mm-hmm. city council, you get Dan Lewis in there again, you get, you know, you have some balance. So I haven't met the gentleman yet, but, but the Luis Sanchez down in, in the Albuquerque area, it's, they tell me he leans, you know, that middle of the road Democrat, not as far left as, as people may want him to be. So mm-hmm. those are some encouraging indicators. Uh, you know, Governor Luan Grisham has has compromised herself with some of her voters in, in some of the COVID, you know, mandates and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of business owners that are frustrated because, you know, either they've lost their business or they're 
going to be digging out of this hole that's been dug for them for the next you know several years or whatever it may be and that maybe is translating into you know an opportunity to win some seats uh, we'll see what you know what transpires i think my biggest frustration with with the republican party has been um that lack of unity once the primary is over you've got to get behind who your candidate is you know whether you like them or not i mean you know um you got to be that and so i think if we can can have a better narrative in terms of that, you know, um, mm -hmm. we can do better. But you know, it's frustrating when you know when you have what I would say candidates that are like you said on the bench, like that could come in and, and run a state. Let's be honest, I could be a great statewide candidate right now. Like I, I could do that right now with the things I've done. But I'm I'm at the point where I need I need to take a step back from everything and look at you know and um, and it'd be nice to have you know a few more people on the bench that say, hey, mm -hmm. my time's now. I'm ready to go. I'm going to do this. I'm going to run for Congress. I'm going to run for land office or attorney general or whatever it may be. I'm, I'm kind of worried right now we don't have, you know, a good strong list of statewide candidates. You know, we have everyone wanting to run for governor, but, you know, we need a good AG candidate. You know, we need a, you know, I think we have some treasury candidates emerging. I haven't seen an SOS uh, secretary of state candidate come up yet on our team. Um, be nice to have some folks that, you know, that have some credibility that can get up there and, and run. But they're again, running statewide. That's a, that's a big ask, you know, but you Absolutely. put your life on hold. You have to. So yeah. have you been approached to endorse anyone at this point, uh, Representative? Um, do you mean for governor? Or? Yes. Sorry, my yeah. fault. Um, I have good relationships with Rebecca Dow, obviously, because I've served in the House with her for a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, she's got a great grassroots operation going on. She'll walk into any room and talk to anybody. Um, I have had some conversations with Mark Ronchetti. Um, you know, it's hard to it's hard to look away from Mark's name ID. You know, I mean, you know, people all over the state know the guy just because. You know, he's he's the Howard Morgan of our time, if you will. Right. I like that. <laughs> um, and uh, and um, and they both bring good good qualities to the table. So um, talking to both of them, I don't know that I'll make a public endorsement for one or the other, just in the fact that you know, um, I've always been one to try and stay away from endorsing in primaries, just because it gets messy and you you know, obviously someone gets left out. But mm -hmm. um, you know, I can tell you that either one of them would be a phenomenal candidate. Um, I don't mention any of the other ones because I don't have relationships with, with the other folks. I don't, I don't know very many of them, but, uh, mm -hmm. but I, I just, you know, I, I want to be able to, when, when the dust settles after that primary, uh, hopefully be a voice for, for calm and, and, and uh, get everybody on the same page, whether you've supported this one or that one, let's, sure. let's get after whoever it is and try and, you know, elevate them to that level and see if they can take, take a good shot at, uh, at winning that seat i don't know it's hard to beat an incumbent right yeah. it's hard to do it in new mexico that's right and you know governor Luan grisham is popular with a lot of folks still and so we'll see how how that plays out mm -hmm. representative is steve pierce still the right person to be leading the republican party of new mexico um i feel like there there's a situation in the in the state party where where there's some some folks that are sort of done with with the old, with the leadership that's been there for so long. Um, I think that um, Steve's done a phenomenal job for the state of New Mexico, served in Congress for what was it, 14 years, something along those lines, served in the state house prior to that, um, has run successful businesses in the oil patch. Um, phenomenal story when you, when, you, when you look at his military career and how they came to New Mexico, all those stories, Steve's a great guy. Um, but at the end of the day, I think there could be, you know, room for for some fresh blood for someone else to come in there and sort of take the party in a different direction. Not in a, not in an aggressive. We're the Republicans. We've got to be, you know, the hardest right people you can imagine. But mm -hmm. a Republican that comes in and says, "Hey, listen, there's a lot of work that can be done in the middle," and that's what's frustrated me most in the last few years. 
you know, we, we, we stand on either side. We're going to be hard right. We're going to be hard left. And, and the, the work that can be done in the middle sort of falls by the wayside because we're afraid to say, well, um, if I vote for that bill, I might not get reelected. Well, we're not here to worry about getting reelected. We're worried about what we came here to do, and that's do the right thing. And so, um, you know, one bill comes to mind that we passed last year was a ban on trapping on public land, trapping animals. Right. I'm, not a, I'm not a rancher. I don't think you're a rancher, Gene. We, right. you know, we live in metropolitan areas, but mm-hmm. the individual family that's out there and they have, you know, a calf out there that's worth 1200 bucks and a coyote, you know, for no apparent reason, kills it in the middle of the night. You know, you need to let them have the tools they need to have to manage their life and you're affecting their bottom line. Yet we have, you know, this base of Albuquerque, you know, representatives and that bill passed by one vote. Um, you know, and that was very frustrating to me because I sat there with one member from the house. I said, you, this doesn't even, you have no idea what this means to those people. You live in Albuquerque, you know? And so those are the kind of things that I think people need to have a, a little more courage with and step, stop sitting there saying, well, if I vote for that bill, they're going to unelect me or they're going to primary me. It's like, you know, you can stand up there and defend your vote. I can do it. I've done it a million times, you know? And so, hence. Hence, that's why we serve six terms, and and we get to we get to go relax a little bit right now. Yeah, for a minute, for a minute. For a minute. Right. <laughs> <laughs> let me ask you this as, as well. I, I'm I'm curious about the new. It's not new. Let me take that back. The idea of more transparency and such when it comes to serving. You know, there's an idea out there now that uh, not candidates but elected folks would have to report everything into the family over six hundred dollars. Yeah. Is is there is there a line to these things, Representative? Is there a line where it says to folks, I don't know if I want to run and hold office right. if people are going to know that my, you know, I I, I took in twelve hundred bucks for selling a, a trailer or something. You know, exactly. Just, mm-hmm. I think the one um, the one thing that we probably should be disclosing is our interactions business-wise with the state of New Mexico. So okay. currently there's a there's a um, uh, requirement. I think it's if you, if you take in over $5,000 a year on some sort of contract with the state of New Mexico, mm-hmm. um, that you have to report that. I think that's that's a valid ask because you're right. doing business with, with, a, with a state entity. Uh, but to sit there and need to know all the rental properties that I own, or I make most of my living from real estate commissions, but you know, maybe I flip a house every other year or whatever. And that's, that's part of my income too. Or maybe right. my spouse has another sort of income that comes in or whatever it may be. Like you said, you sell a car that's, you know, a, 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 a classic, you know, Jeep CJ5 that I have sitting in my garage. I sell it and now I have to tell everyone in the world that I sold it. Yeah, there's a line to that. And I think you do push away people that, um, that tend to want to just put their head down and work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, if, if somebody's, you know, gaining dollars, you know, criminally or illegally, it's going to catch up with them. Right. And so I, I feel like, yeah, there's, there's a point where it goes too far. The ethics commission, you know, I'm, you know, it, it, it scares me to think that at some point there will be uh, some sort of ethics complaint on, on a member of the house or some elected position. That's a total, you know, maybe a total bogus type of complaint, but yet they're drugged through the mud. You know, they're, 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 they're presented to the public in such a manner you know, what comes to mind is, is Carl Trujillo from up north when he was um, a state rep. And, and some of those things that came out, you know, it was he was guilty right away. But yet when you peel off the layers, it's like, well, wait a minute. There's some connecting things that are going on here that don't make sense, you know. And so 
um, I think you do scare away people from running for office in that regard. And so um, I, I hope that um, that that's thought through really well. And and with the with the thought that they, you know, there's some things that probably aren't everybody's business. You know. Gotcha. Yeah. Representative Baldonado, is there any scenario you can think of, meaning enough money in the bank, enough rental properties going to get you back uh-huh. into the political game? Is is there? Can you see it at this point? Is it is it a close horizon or a far horizon? What what's your sense of that? Um, I've been asked that a lot in the last couple of weeks. I'm mm-hmm. I'm saying never say never. Um, right. I would you know in the future maybe consider something, but um, you know right now you know running for office it, it's if you're going to take it serious and do it right, um, it's it's a it's a big on taking. You know obviously the first time I ran was the hardest time. You know right. then you you start to build a little bit of momentum after that. But you do have to maintain that. You have to, you have to stay in front of your voters. That's why I've always said it's easier. It's it's harder to be a state rep because you have to run every two years. But it's easier because it forces you to really stay in, in front of people. You know, the senators, That's you right. know, I'm not saying they disappear because I think they do a great job, a lot of senators, but a lot of them sort of lay low for the first couple of years of their their term. Mm-hmm. And then they get serious, you know, come middle, come middle and 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 the last uh, year of that term. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. um I, I, I definitely am not going away in terms of, you know, hiding forever. I'm going to, I'm going to step back and just yeah. watch the landscape. I definitely am going to help whomever um, is appointed um, this afternoon um, to replace me. I'm going to help that individual um, run and win for office if that's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that Valencia County continues to have that cohesiveness. I think the biggest thing that I've seen in the 10 years, you know, prior to me winning in, in 2010, there was there was most of the most of the electeds in Valencia County were were, were were Democrat, and now we have a situation where there are only two elected Democrats in all of the county. You know, you have everybody kind of pulling and rowing in the same direction. And between myself and Representative Fajardo, Representative Baca, Representative I'm sorry, Senator Baca, Representative Armstrong, and Senator Sanchez, who represent the bulk of Valencia County, um, we talk almost every day on a group text about whatever's going on in the community. Hey, did you hear about this? Did you know what's cool. going on over there? And I know that the public has seen that. And for that, they've rewarded us with, with re-elections. And so hopefully that continues to build. Um, and whomever replaces me, um, you know, carries the torch and does well for the community. So a lot of fascinating ground covered here. I appreciate yeah. your 10-year-long view of these things. Yeah. Um, you know, we got to move forward whichever way yeah. we can. And I want to thank Either you way. for your efforts. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and thanks for having me on. And uh We will cross paths again in the future. Who knows? That'll do it for this episode, but we encourage you to tune back in next time when uh, we have a lot more in store for you, including an update on the Omicron variant in New Mexico and the strain it continues to put on local hospitals. That's next time on New Mexico in Focus the podcast uh, coming out on Monday, which is also Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So I know a lot of you are off from school or work, and we hope that you will take us with you wherever you go and that you have a terrific weekend. And most of all, stay safe, stay healthy.